Welcome to the Outcomes Rocket Podcast, where we inspire collaborative thinking, improved outcomes, and business success with today's most successful and inspiring healthcare leaders and influencers. And now your host, Saul Marquez. Welcome back once again to the Outcomes Rocket Podcast, where we chat with today's most successful and inspiring healthcare leaders. I really want to thank you for tuning in again, and I welcome you to go to outcomesrocket.health slash reviews, where you could leave a rating and review for today's podcast because he is an outstanding healthcare leader. His name is Gavin Teo. He's a partner at B Capital Group. He's a venture investor in healthcare and consumer technology. Gavin has a knack for finding those companies that know how to perform and that know how to disrupt healthcare. He's a board member at several of them, including the Almotive, He's also a board member at Bright MD, Silver Cloud Health, and many others. But just want to touch on those little brief points and open up the microphone for Gavin to round out that introduction. Gavin, welcome to the podcast, my friend. Saul, thank you very much for having me. I really appreciate being part of the show. I'm a big fan of Outcomes Rocket, and it's an honor to be here today. I think that that introduction it has a good coverage of the things that I've done to date, but I would just like to say that I would be uh, remiss to say that any of the successes of what you shared wouldn't be possible without the entrepreneurs, the companies, and the businesses and management teams that are building them. And I'm always in awe every day when I work with great entrepreneurs at companies like SilverCloud and BrightMD and AI Motive and others in my portfolio as well. So happy to talk about them and some of the great things they're doing. Fantastic. Yeah, recognition goes out to you all. And so tell me, Gavin, what got you into this focus area of healthcare to begin with? Because you, you obviously had some different experiences in digital media and, and production and things like that, right? What got you into healthcare? Yeah, so I've been a venture investor for about seven years now, spending the predominance of my time in healthcare. And it, it really comes from two things. The venture and the entrepreneurship part comes from my background. I come from an entrepreneurial family, a father that built a business in Asia and in the US that I had the, the opportunity to kind of see firsthand as it grew and the impact it had on, on organizations and people. And then the health side, from early on, my first role in a professional setting was with Bain & Company, the consulting firm in their healthcare practice and spent a lot of time oh, with very cool. their clients. And that to me really opened up the world of both how care is delivered and how care is reimbursed and paid for which are very important components as to, you know, at the end of the day, population health and delivering good outcomes. And so as I've kind of extended that into the privilege I've had from a current seat in, in backing great entrepreneurs and putting capital to work, it's with that lens. So companies and entrepreneurs building lasting businesses that have impacts, their families, their teams, and also the markets in which they operate, and then healthcare specifically. And I think we live in a very interesting time in that there's a confluence of population growth, chronic diseases on the rise. So we're living longer and dealing with more conditions. And in the U.S. and globally, there is this element of you know, regulation, whether that's the ACA or tax reform, that's challenging you know, preconceived notions you know, built off of a long history of you know, high tech act and other things like that, that have gotten us to where we are today, where the cost of care in many ways is unsustainable. The focus on value is something that I strongly believe in. And that uh, really makes for an interesting set of tailwinds from which to invest capital behind great companies. And that's really how I ended up doing what I'm doing. That's beautiful. Uh, sounds like a, a sprinkle of your dad's influence and then a little bit of your own career spin. And here you are. No, thank you very much. Yeah. I, so in my investing career, I've, I've uh, had the, the privilege to start and join B Capital Group, which is a venture capital fund 
with offices on the west coast of the U.S. and Southeast Asia, and we invest in healthcare companies both sides of the Pacific. And then previous to that, uh, you alluded to some of my prior investing experience. Uh, also, had the privilege of spending five years at Comcast Ventures, where I invested in healthcare and healthcare IT alongside digital media and consumer technologies. And I think if I kind of bring those threads together, at the end of the day, uh, patients are consumers. And in healthcare, often the predominant business models are B2B, right? So enterprises selling to other enterprises. Yes. Or B2B2C, uh, where it's still a business who's the payer. But the end user at the end of the day is, is a patient who has choices around where she or he consumes health. And I think that is even more true today when we talk about the consumerization of healthcare, the digitization of healthcare. You know, we've heard terms like quantified self in the past. And I think these are all trends that point to the fact that if you don't do things that are important and received and consumed and respected and appreciated at the point of care, then all the business models and the tech in support of that in more B2B settings ultimately will not be successful. And so I try and apply a little bit of that lens of having built and shipped consumer product. I spent a couple of years as a product manager at Zynga, a social gaming company where I spammed a lot of Facebook feeds, to be honest. And there's a, you know, there, there's a place in time for reach and engagement. I'll leave it at that. And I think taking some of those lessons as to how you get adoption and penetration within a healthcare B2B2C setting or a B2C setting, I think is increasingly important as well as we think of patients as consumers. Beautiful. No, Gavin, I think you've shared some really great things. And listeners, if you're a company trying to get started in this space, I would recommend you rewind because what Gavin just went through is just some major distinctions that, you know, I could tell he's been thinking about these things for a long time. And, and it's these distinctions that, that will help you be successful is understanding how you're going to deliver value, how you're going to get paid. And, and these two factors are so important. Gavin, what would you say to folks trying to get started in this space? What words of wisdom would you share with them? So I'd say know your customer or know your user really well. I think in healthcare more than any other sector, you know, we're looking at an economy versus an, a vertical, right? I mean, healthcare is $17 trillion, you know, 20% of US GDP, depending on where you want to play in that ecosystem and the business you want to build, the constituents that you serve and that you sell to are pretty different. And so knowing who that is, whether it's in the payer world, an insurance company, in the um, risk-bearing entity world, an employer often, in the provider world, a health system, or in the life science world, a pharma company or med tech company that you know a lot about at Medtronic. You know, I, I think the constituents are very different. At the end of the day, it's all about driving better outcomes. Now, the incentives have not always been the case, right? And so as we move from fee-for-service to fee-for-value, those various constituents I talked about are starting to change ways that they're you know, bundling payments and participating in the reimbursement chain, all in service of the end patient and, and the end outcome, which is super critical. But how you get there, right, is all about knowing your customer really well and applying the right product market fit. It is an economy, not just a vertical. Gavin, I love that. I've, that's such a great way to, to explain. I've never heard that before. And I think it's just such a great way to explain healthcare and how big it is and the many different roads you could take to do something to make it better. And what you guys do with your firm is super interesting. And so I wanted to just ask you what you believe a hot topic that needs to be on every leader's agenda in healthcare today. What is that? Yep. I think that at its core, in this current phase of where we're at right now, there are two core themes that I'm spending time in. One is point of care, right? So it's basically software and tech-enabled services to help patients receive care better, cheaper, and faster. And I'll expand on that a little bit more. And then the second theme is around how do you bring better therapies to market using all the benefits of technology, things like artificial intelligence or blockchain. And I think pharmaceutical value chain right now or life science value chain 
from research all the way through to development and commercialization is an area that has a lot of important implications across healthcare. And so just to touch on those two themes in, in order, you know, w- with regards to point of sale, a uh, point of care, I should say, we are uh, investors in two companies, Silver Cloud Health, which is a leader in mental health population management, customers being large health systems, the UK, NHS, and several health systems in the US. And then another BrightMD, which is redefining the primary care experience. Uh, it's a software that helps providers, primary care physicians manage inflow better. So in support of the provider versus replacing the provider or uh, supplementing with you know, a telehealth type video visit. And I think both of those types of investments are companies that currently augment existing workflow by integrating into EHR systems and delivering care with existing methods of provider and patient acceptance without needing a whole lot of behavior change, but that include the best of new types of technology to make providers more efficient in treating patients. And I think that theme of bringing care to the settings where it is currently being consumed and making that better versus uh, ripping and replacing it with something that, you know, is sort of tech first, but not healthcare first. I think these are really important implications and insights, you know, if you're looking to build a product and bring a service to market. And then with regards to pharma value chain, so very, very different tailwinds, but really important to keep on the agenda. You know, if I take a step back and think about where we are right now in the broader macro business cycle, you know, we're at the top of a, it's a bumper profitability cycle, right? And on top of that, we're adding tax reform and cutting corporate tax rates by half. And so I think the net result of that is there's going to be a lot of cash on large balance sheets. And I think that's going to be felt within healthcare as we think about the economy, particularly strongly in the life science space. And why is that? One, these are companies that are very profitable in their own right. But two, we're also entering a more liberal regulatory environment, both with the FDA, right, and more drugs coming to market, and also the FCC, so big mega mergers, right, and we're seeing some of them in healthcare as well. And then finally, I'd add pharma companies more than providers or employers or consumers, for that matter, in healthcare, they are truly global, right? So, you know, healthcare service is a local business. Making drugs and delivering them is a global business. And if you look at some of the large companies like Pfizer's and Sanofi's and Merck's, they have huge, you know, euro dollar balances sitting across the pond, if you will. And tax reform is also going to repatriate a lot of that back if you kind of read between the lines. And so the net result of all of that is we're going to, in my view, see both M&A and venture activity and consolidation in the pharma value chain, which I think is, is really interesting because if then you're attempting as a healthcare leader to bring product and market into the space, having a strategy on how you work with life science is really important. So I'd say those two themes, provider point of care and really integrating to existing behaviors and then to finding ways to participate in pharma value chain, regardless of where you are on service and, and therapeutic. These, I think, will be interesting tailwinds for 2018. Gavin, some great insights. And I think of this uh, from the perspective of the executive leaders listening folks that have money to invest in companies. I think that's a really great summary and a really great way to take a look at the things that are happening in the healthcare economy. And so as you guys build your portfolio at your company, what would you say one of the biggest things that you're looking forward to today is? Yeah, that's a great question. And I'd love to get your thoughts on that as well, Saul. You know, sure. I, my answer is it's evolutionary. And every year, I think we, we should take a, the opportunity to have a sort of a bit of a breather, a step back, and really think about what are the things that are fundamentally going to change care, care delivery, and therapy, right? And those tailwinds, macro-wise, still point towards value versus volume. 
I think that's absolutely true in North America, despite some of the uncertainty around the ACA that you know we're hearing about even today, right, with the employer mandate being now called under question after the individual mandate was effectively repealed through tax reform. And so, you know, one of the things that sort of jumps out to me as we think about a strategy for the year comes back a little bit towards, you know, what are the areas that are a little bit less under direct pressure? So you can step away from kind of the regulatory uncertainty, let it play out a little bit, and then circle back when things are a little bit clearer. And so as I think about what those areas are for me, I'll start with back to kind of different components of pharmaceutical value chain. Fundamentally, I think there's good regulatory reasons as to why that is going to be in a big year for 2018. And so we have two companies that we've invested in, and there are plenty of other great ones that we're spending time with. One that we haven't announced that's upstream in the research end of uh, R&D. So it's using AI to help with drug discovery. And then another, Evidation Health, that we're big supporters of and led the Series B in 2016, which uh, brings mobile and modern technology, digital technology to virtual clinical research and trial recruitment. Uh, which is downstream in the development process. So, you know, I, perhaps these comments are a little bit more oriented towards some of the life science executives in your listenership. But I think the messages are also important more broadly, right? If you are a health system and you have a PI site that you're running on site, then how do you participate in that value chain with pharma as the primary wallet? Uh, I think the use of technology and the use of digital uh, assets and tools with companies like the ones I've described can be quite valuable to you. So I'd say that that's one area for this year where you know we're pretty bullish. And with regards to where we're spending less time, there's been a lot written on what will happen to the individual market, right, and the, the public exchanges. I think naturally it's an area that less venture dollars have flown into in the last call it 18 months ever since the kind of change in administration for all the natural reasons. But if you look at some of the stats, public market or I should say retail market, a retail exchange, enrollment was up 50% year on year last year, despite everything that folks have, have been seeing with, with uncertainty in, the, yeah. in the incentives. I think part of that is the groundwork that was you know, laid under the prior administration. But I think part of it is that there's a real demand from consumers to have healthcare coverage, right, mm-hmm. globally. Patients that you know, don't have it through their employer families uh, through CMS that absolutely want and need it. And so, you know, while there isn't as much attention for because, you know, the venture industry is, is one that sort of follows trends. And this is one that's been a little bit on the wane in the last 18 months. My sort of somewhat contrarian view might be, let's not discount healthcare distribution through some of the channels that the ACA in its original form brought about. So I'm always interested in models that can leverage some of these tailwinds too. Yeah, that's really interesting. You know, Gavin, as we think about the changing environment for providers and going back to your, your focus on the life sciences and, and making more efficient models for the value chain for pharma companies, as a provider, what are you doing to diversify your income streams outside of the traditional bread and butter of healthcare? And I think this focus that Gavin is highlighting right now is something to think about because traditionally, a lot of of hospitals have been very focused, really uh, academic institutions have been focused on the the pharma and, you know, sourcing patients. But community hospitals have an amazing opportunity to also dive into that and create some revenue models for the hospital. Gavin, any thoughts on that? Yeah, so two sets of thoughts. One, more directly to day-to-day operations of a hospital and how you might increase revenue with new revenue streams. And, and the other, which is tangential point around how do you participate in kind of broader pharma value chain if you are a provider, 
right? So two different ways to, and there are others uh, as to how you might expand your revenue base. You know, on the former, most provider systems in North America are still fee-for-service, right? And as they move to fee-for-value, that transition requires creative thinking. And there's going to be a period of time where you have revenue coming from both, just different sets of contracts. I think some of the more progressive provider systems that we have spent time with across the U.S., many, of course, on the West Coast, have started to think about, you know, capitated risk models, bringing in technology to help essentially capture more of that bundle payment, right? And so uh, some of the systems that BrightMD is working with uh, is our portfolio company that's essentially a virtual physician assistant using AI to help with primary care volume. In the fee-for-service world, it's all about understanding that primary care is often a loss leader for large health systems. And in the clinic, the whole idea is retaining that customer and that patient, seeing them in a most efficient point of care, so not the ER. Or, or even urgent care, but in the primary care or adult clinic. And then where necessary and where appropriate, treating the, that patient into specialties, so secondary and tertiary care over time and retaining that patient versus letting the patient fall out of the system or go to a competing health system. And I think that all is predicated on upstream primary care being efficient, being able to capture with low wait times very, very large numbers of patients and then treat them and manage them effectively throughout episodes of care and throughout the patient life cycle. And I think that's where you can't throw more bodies at the problem. You can't hire your way out of the primary care shortage. You need technology to help existing providers, not replace them, but help them practice at the top of their license. And that's what BrightMD is doing in fee-for-service. But I think there's a real value in fee-for-value as well, where you know you have a capitated payment and you want to get more of that bundle captured under your roof. And so some of the things that we're seeing include hospital systems working with the likes of Lyft or Uber, where they're actually subsidizing and organizing the ride where you know post-pregnancy, the mother is wheeled out to a car and the car takes her home, right? Or, you know, chronic patients, same thing, and brings you back to the, the setting of care where necessary. It's really the end-to-end service. You know, we've used words like concierge in the past, and I think that has a, a sort of a, a bias to it. But it's not about concierge care. It's about population-based care where you bring the patient from where they live into the healthcare setting, treat them appropriately, send them home, and manage that end-to-end. And I think there's opportunities if you essentially do all those service-level components with technology to capture more of that value and bring more revenue into the system. And so then on the second theme, which is if you're a provider, what might you do to participate in pharma value chain? I think fundamentally with this regime that we're in, there's going to be more clinical trials run across the board. And the amount of money that it costs to bring a new drug to market, and med tech is within and device and diagnostics is within that same realm. I mean, we're talking about you know, over a billion dollars in 10 years, right, to bring one new drug to market with success rates that are in the low teens. And throughout that pathway, when you get from, you know, phase one, two, three clinical trials, it touches patients in the clinic and PIs are going to be needed to run those, those trials effectively. And so as you think about, you know, recruiting effectively, as you think about patient engagement, compliance, monitoring, and then study participation, I think these are all areas where it's been very analog in the past and bringing technology you know, with the likes of Evidation Health and others in their field can be very helpful to provider systems looking to expand new revenue streams within life science. So these are all, I think, interesting ways that will play themselves out over the next two to five years. Yeah, super awesome. Really appreciate the thoughts there, Gavin. And, you know, you, you mentioned uh, Uber and taking the pregnant lady back home. And it's just interesting to think about it, too, in the perspective of using Uber and Lyft to take a patient that you screened for that particular social determinants of health. They don't have a car or they don't live near a bus stop and getting some sort of program put together that will allow them to get the care that they need in order for the ER not to continue getting these visits. You know, have you guys explored any, any companies doing anything like that? 
That's a great question. Yeah, I think there was a podcast by Jane Sarenson Khan, who's an awesome thought leader in this She's space great. with you on Outcomes Rocket that talked about the social determinants of health, right? And I think things like the early life and work or unemployment and social support, you know, and transportation. I mean, these are the types of things that are going to deeply and directly impact how well you receive care, access to care, and then how well you're able to actually use the care options available to you. So totally agree with that broader sentiment. The Canadian government through Health Canada has done a lot of thinking around this, right, and put a, essentially a standard together on what those social determinants are and, you know, are trying to steer in the right direction through social policy and, and health policy, uh, ways to alleviate that on a national scale. I think in the U.S. it's a little bit more fragmented, right? So I think some of these yeah. things end up becoming local ordinances and local efforts through community hospitals and health systems that, you know, are bearing risk for encircling the patient and making sure that outside of the setting of care, these social determinants are at least the positive or, or the worst elements of them alleviated. So there are a couple companies that one comes to mind, uh, Docent Health, that does exactly this. I mean, it essentially has a heavy service component that signs a docent to a healthcare patient to help manage that experience entering and exiting a hospital setting. And I think there are many other ways to do that through things like, you know, checking up with remote patient monitoring once the patient is at home, having a nurse or case manager or care coordinator uh, ask the right questions and then coordinate where necessary to help um, uh, help the patient, you know, receive care in the right way. Now, I don't think, you know, you can coordinate yourself out of things like socioeconomic factors and work and unemployment, but I think that's where the role of government and, and good government policy can come to bear as well. You know, and in years past, we've heard of things like the patient-centered medical home and federally uh, qualified medical centers and, you know, effectively a lot of government funding through the Medicaid program to help with these types of programs. And, and I think uh, there's certainly need for that because at the end of the day, you know, while healthcare in this in this country is a, both a private and a public market, I think those two elements working together is what will get us to the best outcome, especially with regards to things like social determinants. Insightful. The other thing that I was wondering too, Gavin, is, is how does your experience working in Asia as well help you here in the States? Does it help you see anything differently? Does it help you with insights? Like what are some insights that you gain from your experience out there? No, thank you for the question. It's something we think a lot about at B Capital Group because we are a global fund with a large team and offices in Southeast Asia based out of Singapore, in addition to you know, being very, uh, very focused in North America. And we invest in healthcare globally. So we think about our opportunities. We benchmark them against each other. We don't run two different investment committees that make decisions on you know, Asia healthcare versus US healthcare or, or this, you know, vice versa for our other sectors. So I spent a good amount of time in Asia as well with, with my team there. So I'd say uh, some of the differences between the markets is maybe it's less Asia, but more U.S. versus rest of the world in that the U.S. Uh, you know, is a two-tiered private public healthcare system and the rest of the world is largely universal health, right? And so then the question becomes, what are the differences between different markets? And to answer your question, Asia specifically, I'd say Asia, you do have universal health-based countries. And I think even the ones that are developing nations also have universal health systems. Then the question becomes, how effective are those systems? And in the absence of government provided healthcare, if there's no private sector, then are patients ultimately uninsured and paying out of pocket for private clinics because there isn't enough supply on the government side? And I think that's the case for certain countries like Indonesia and India, where we spend time and plenty of opportunity there to introduce new types of healthcare services, as well as new types of patient pay insurance type programs in a very, very early market. And then there are other countries in Asia like like Singapore and Hong Kong, where you have a, you know, an entrenched and well-functioning 
universal health system already where, that the government is sponsoring through taxpayer dollars that runs the predominance of hospitals and run, frankly, the best hospitals, right? Um, where they have the most volume and the best, the best specialists, the best surgeons, the best physicians. And I think in these markets, the needs are a little bit different, right? It's about improving access to care. It's not about getting everyone insured and covered, but it's about making sure that in some of these promises of population health are played out, like we, what we've talked about in the last five years in the US. So overall, I'd say that in the US, we do a lot of IP-based investing, same in, in Europe. And by that, I mean, you know, investing in things that are fundamentally core new technology, whether that's AI or life science and new drugs or, or part of that drug value chain. In Asia and the rest of the world, where some of these kind of fundamental mismatches in supply and demand in developing countries or where you have a, a big government sector and the private sector is a little less developed, at least, you know, in, for example, in the insurance world, we invest a little bit more in business model innovation versus IP innovation. So, you know, thinking of ways to improve access to care uh, through new types of services. So to give you a couple of examples, you know, we're investors in a company called CXA or Connections Asia Group, which is a Singapore and Hong Kong based tech enabled health benefits broker. So it's essentially an insurance exchange for the private market targeting employers, which in the U.S. is highly competitive um, and has large companies that serve employers and broker the relationship between an insurance policy and a large self-funded entity like a Fortune 500 company. In Asia, that's all very, very new. And even uh, large employers and corporates are buying fully insured products. So effectively, they're not carrying the principal risk. They're buying that from an insurance company. And so those are the types of differences. And you know, how do you get the right engagement from employees who are patients who are also consumers of care? What's the right model to get distribution. Very different answers than in North America. And then, you know, outside of our portfolio, there's a company called Hao Daifu, which is basically a Teladoc and plus ZocDoc for the China okay. market that raised $200 million from Tencent in a Series D round last year. That's a huge nice. financing anywhere in the world. So examples of, you know, essentially bringing provider services closer to the patient. And those, you know, again, are more business model than IP driven types of innovations that we see in that part of the world. Gavin, super interesting. And do you blog at all or, or, or no? We do have a Medium blog that my colleagues and I at B Capital Group have on our site. Admittedly, we have a, a lot of work to do to make it uh, <laughs> make it richer. So nowhere close to the level of sophistication as Outcomes Rocket. But I've had in the past uh, the privilege of being able to contribute to MedCity and to Economy and TechCrunch and a few of those other health and technology-based blogs and always like to do that with other thought leaders. Well, I, I definitely think that, Gavin, either you or somebody at B Capital has to start a podcast because this has been really insightful and unfortunately. Unfortunately, we only have 30 minutes. I'd love to keep going. So definitely, I will promise you a part two to this, listeners. You'll get a part two. And Gavin, so take that and just let it marinate because I think you guys could produce a really, really good podcast with some good content that I would love to listen to, frankly. Well, thank you. It'd be an honor to come back to the show. I really appreciate you having me. So Gavin, before we do part though, I don't want to end without doing our outcomes course, the lightning round. So are you ready for that? Let's do it. All right. What's the best way to improve healthcare outcomes? Focus on the patient and don't forget about how you get to the patient. What is the biggest mistake or pitfall to avoid? Forgetting to measure and to be really thoughtful about what are the metrics that you're looking to optimize for and be sort of rapidly focused on those things. How do you stay relevant as an organization despite constant change? Hire the best people, uh, nurture them, focus on professional development, and then you know, let them go where their careers will take them. And in the intervening journey, work really hard and, and really well with the focus on the individuals that make up your organization. Finally, what's one area of focus that should drive everything else in your company? Staying true to your core and defining what it is that you are going to do to make a mark on the world. 
What book would you recommend, Gavin, to the listeners? A book? Oh, so this one might be a little bit out of left field, but there's a book I read recently called Over the Edge of the World, which is about Magellan's circumnavigation of the globe. And it's written in the, in the style of literary nonfiction. So it's all fact-based and there's a bibliography at the back. The reason I chose this one is it tells us a couple of stories about human nature. It's a huge story about overcoming adversity. I mean, he was the first person to circumnavigate the globe and he didn't actually make it back. Uh, he died in the Philippines along the way, but it was his journey and the, the fleet of ships that, that actually did it. But it also tells us a few things about hubris and trying to do things that were off core and off message. And I'll kind of leave it at that as to how he ultimately met his demise. But it's all about, <laughs> you know, going for shooting for the stars, doing things that haven't been done before, but knowing where your limits are and being cognizant of, of what you ultimately want to achieve and doing it the right way. Ah, that sounds like a great book and you left a great hook. So um, listeners, go to outcomesrocket.health slash Gavin. That's G-A-V as in Victor, I-N. And you're going to find all of the show notes as well as links to all the things that we talked about as well as this book that was just recommended. So Gavin, this has been a blast. And uh, what I'd like is for you to just share a closing thought with the listeners and the best place that they could follow you. Well, thank you very much for having me. I, I really had a fun time. I look forward to doing this again soon. So the thought I'd leave you guys with is healthcare is an economy. It's one that touches every element of our lives and it's huge and growing. So if you have a great idea and a business that can lead to better outcomes and more efficient care along the way, I think that you should absolutely do it. The time is now. And with regards to staying in touch, my email is gavin at bcapgroup.com. Our website is also www.bcapgroup.com. Would love to meet you guys and also get your thoughts on the things that will change outcomes in modern healthcare. Hey, Gavin, thanks so much for stopping by, man. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, Saul. Really appreciate the time and look forward to staying in touch. Thanks for listening to the Outcomes Rocket podcast. Be sure to visit us on the web at www.outcomesrocket.com for the show notes, resources, inspiration, and so much more.